from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this edition. That was the sound of supporters of President Trump who gathered at state capitals across the country on Saturday saying, stop the steal. The growing number of voting irregularities that are being uncovered are fueling the president's legal challenge of the election results. Texas Congressman Louis Gohmert, a former judge in Texas, was in Philadelphia over the weekend and said what he saw provides a solid foundation from which to challenge the election outcome. He joins us in just a moment. Also, Ken Blackwell, who served as Secretary of State for the state of Ohio during the contested 2000 presidential election cycle and now serves as chairman of the board for the International Foundation for Electoral Systems, a global leader in democracy assistance, was also in Philadelphia over the weekend, and he is here with a firsthand report. And is it just me, or is the media treating the 2020 challenge by President Trump differently than they treated the 2000 legal challenge by then-Vice President Al Gore? John Stenberger, president of the Family Policy Council, of the Florida Family Policy Council, who served on the legal team of George W. Bush during the 2000 challenge, is here with his thoughts. And, and I want to make sure that you're able to see through the cloud of controversy and uncertainty that hangs over the presidential election. Republicans did not lose the Senate as the media predicted, nor did Nancy Pelosi grab a supermajority in the House. In fact, as the election results continue to come in, the GOP has gained seats in the House. All good news for conservatives, but even bigger news is what took place in state legislative races. We'll get the latest from Travis Weber a little later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Parlor, it is at T. Perkins. And uh, if you're continuing to be on Twitter, it's also at T. Perkins. All right. Uh, the, the media is already doing stories on the new presidential pets, as they've called the election for Joe Biden. But apparently the media didn't get the memo, nor did they read the Constitution. They don't decide or certify elections. Now, is there evidence to suggest that voter fraud took place in Pennsylvania? And if so, is it enough that it could have altered the outcome of the election? Here with answers is our good friend Louis Gohmert, former Texas judge and now congressman for the 1st Congressional District of the Lone Star State. Louis, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. Always good to be with you, my friend. All right, Congressman, you were on the ground in Philadelphia. Did what you see and what you Saul, as evidence was coming forward, suggests that there was fraud in the election in Pennsylvania. Well, as a Texan, they didn't allow me into the convention center and they didn't allow. But that the problem was they didn't allow the poll watchers to be able to be in a position where they could see what was going on. And when they got a court order requiring it. Uh, they move things back. Yeah, okay, we'll let you to this point. But they move things back where they never could see. And the only reason they could have been trying. Oh, and and you know we saw how they put up signs uh, uh, sign or paper on the window so you couldn't see in and see what they were doing. Uh, you know the question obviously is what you got to what do you got to hide. There is, and and it's a violation of the law. 
because we have got to have our vote counting at, it, completely transparent. Yes, we ought to have a secret ballot, but when it comes to counting, that needs to be exceedingly transparent, and it wasn't. But you remember on election night, I mean, I, I stayed up, I think, till 4 a.m. Um, Central Time, but but when the report came out that Pennsylvania was temporarily suspending their vote counting, did you hear that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can go online. Uh, the high tech Nazis, including the PolitiHacks at PolitiFact, USA Today, they're all saying that never happened. That's a lie. That's just false. It never happened. So anyway, you know, it's like what you saw and heard, that's a lie. Never happened. Just disregard. You were hallucinating. You were upset over Trump uh, losing. So, But he wasn't losing at that point. And I've talked to uh, some of the attorneys handling the suits for uh, the president uh, and talked to the president last night. But uh, there are all, numerous grounds for uh, having uh, a recount and not just because of the margin of error, that that's a basis for a recount. But there are so many improprieties uh, and anomalies and things that just can't physically happen. And I don't want to go into too much detail before the evidence is in admissible form. But, uh, you know, the uh, Dominion ES&S machines, uh, they use uh, – you're talking about the you're talking about the voting machines, the the software. The voting machines, yeah, they use uh, a company called Seidel, S C Y T L, and I don't rely on Wikipedia much, but <laughs> because <laughs> they lie about me all the time. In fact, uh, found out just recently that my wife and I got divorced in 2006. I I would have thought one of us would know if we had been divorced, but nonetheless, you know, surprise the heck out of me and my wife. But uh, Seidel is a Spanish provider of electronic voting systems and election technology founded in 2001 in Barcelona. And uh, anyway, um, they have a Seidel US, but why in the heck are we using software and technology from Spain to run the United States elections? So anyway, that's that's just an aside. Well, but let's for, look at for, in, in, in Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, I would think that they would want to be above reproach, given even the most recent exactly. uh, occurrences there. Like in exactly. May, a former Philadelphia judge of elections was convicted of uh, conspiring to violate civil rights and bribery by by accepting bribes to cast fraudulent ballots and certifying false voting results in the 2014, 2015, and 2016 primaries in Philadelphia. So, I mean, they have a colored past, a checkered past, I should say, yep. when it comes to elections. Exactly. And and there, we need uh, the American people to believe in the sanctity of elections. And, of course, they've certainly learned you can't trust the polls in two election cycles in a row. But there are all kinds of things that raise huge red flags. For example, we've been, as Republicans, we've known for months the only way 
we had a shot of gaining seats in the House when Pelosi was telling their members they were going to hit double digits. It'd probably be 20 uh, new seats, but maybe uh, more than that. Well, they lost seats. We gained seats. And in the Senate, we were, you know, we had, uh, I don't know, not quite twice as many uh, Republican seats up this time in the Senate. Uh, last time it was more Democrats, and so the Republicans picked up seats. That's what often happens when you when one party has more seats. Well, uh, unless uh, there's too much fraud going on in Georgia, they will end up eventually retaining those seats. And and all, but how in the world uh, did the Trump coattails? That kept uh, Republican majorities in so many state legislatures and allowed us to pick up seats because that's the we knew the only way we get seats in the House is Trump coattails. How did those Trump coattails help the state legislatures, help the House Republicans, and help the Senate Republicans and not elect the guy with the coattails? Yeah, I think a lot of people are asking that question. I mean, you now have you have at least eight seats already. There's 33 uh, in the House, eight pickups by Republicans. You have 33 outstanding. They're still waiting for the vote tallies in those races to be certified. So, I mean, it could be upwards of a dozen seats that the Republicans pick up. Unprecedented. So going going back to Philadelphia, I mean, do you based on what you saw there on the ground in Philadelphia, do you think that the Trump campaign, President Trump has a, a solid foundation for a legal challenge in the state of Pennsylvania. Well, what I saw was they were trying to hide the vote counting. And what I understand from witnesses I've talked to is that uh, there is a very solid case and they're, they're getting evidence in admissible form. Uh, and, you know, there, you've heard all kinds of anecdotal evidence about fraud here and fraud here, right. there, and that is that is important, but it's got to be in significant enough uh, numbers so that if I'm back as a judge or chief justice and the lawyers come in and go, you're right, there's fraud, but was that enough to – believe it probably affected the outcome so exactly. we got to have a recount or even a redo election uh if if there was enough violation of the court order to uh segregate certain votes for example in pennsylvania and they did not do that so they mixed some of them in with other votes so you don't know which is which they failed to follow the supreme court's order then that alone may be enough to say you you've violated court orders, not only not allowing people to see the counting, but as far as what you segregated. So you're going to have to have a do over. We can't rely on the votes as they are. And that is still a possibility as well. I hope we don't have to do that. I hope they did segregate so we can throw the bad votes out. But when we hear people saying, and, and I heard this all over Philadelphia, you know, Count every vote. Well, what they're advocating is a crime because it is a crime when you start counting in illegal votes. Right. That you you're not supposed to do that. And that's what's being advocated. Count every vote, including all the illegal votes. And apparently there are plenty. 
uh, we've just got it's going to take a little time to sort it out. And the Democrats uh, felt extremely comfortable with Al Gore having 37 days. And so uh, they need to just be patient because there's a whole lot more wrongdoing than one little county. And that wasn't even wrongdoing. That was allegedly people that didn't understand butterfly ballots, even though fifth graders did. So, uh, Louis, before we run out of time, are there other places around the country where there are uh, cases of potential voter irregularity that could alter the outcome so that Pennsylvania is not the only state in focus? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's a suit that's being filed in, in Georgia, and there's evidence of improprieties there. Arizona, there are problems there. We'll wait and see if that's necessary. But uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, you know, these are all key states. And uh, there there are problems in every one of those states. So from your perspective, Congressman Gomer, this is far from over. It's far from over. And the president understands what some knucklehead Republicans don't. If this election is allowed to be stolen, no Republican will ever be reelected again president. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, extremely important point. We need to make sure these elections were done in a honest, fair fashion. Congressman Louis Gomer, as always, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Uh, it's a great point. I mean, this is to the benefit of the Democrats, Joe Biden, to make sure that this is a legitimate election. All right, when we come back, uh, Ken Blackwell, former Secretary of State of Ohio, joins us. He was in Philadelphia as well. That's next. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll, it was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. 
We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. Uh, Kim Blackwell, is FRC Senior Fellow for Human Rights and Constitutional Governance. He was Secretary of State for the state of Ohio during the contested 2000 election cycle. He also serves as the chairman of the board for the International Foundation for Electoral Systems, a global leader in democracy assistance. They travel the world and engage in critical issues in democracy, governance, and elections, uh, as I said, around the globe. Uh, he was in Philadelphia over the weekend, and he joins us now. Ken, welcome back to the program. Hi, Tony. All right, so what are the major issues that are propelling the Trump campaign into court there in Philadelphia? First, Tony, there is a constitutional overreach by the state Supreme Court. Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution says that state legislatures, not courts, are the final authority to settle election disputes for the, for the presidency. Um, <clears throat> the state Supreme Court uh, made a decision to extend the calendar on Election Day instead of Election Day ending on <clears throat> November 3rd, it, it, ends, uh, it ended the, the, the Friday afterwards. Uh, so that's a constitutional issue that is real. Uh, there is uh, a couple of com- uh, complex uh, remedies. Uh, one would be to have a do-over. Uh, given the shortness of the calendar, uh, it, the Electoral College is supposed to be decided on December 14th, that is a real uh, tight calendar. Uh, Or uh, the state legislature uh, could say, look, we had established the rules. The rules got changed at the last minute. We're going to count those votes that were in uh, in accordance with the original rules. uh, That, And if that means that Trump is the president, they have the constitutional authority to give their electoral college votes to Trump. Uh, that's a heavy lift either way. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that there was a clear U.S. constitutional violation by the state Supreme Court. And, 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 and the, the, the and, uh, a, a part of that is that because that window was left open and it, it number one, as you said, it violates 
the authority of the legislature, which sets the rules according to the Constitution. But it also opens the door to fraudulent behavior during oh, that absolutely. time, where the oh, ballots yeah, could be stuffed, uh, or the boxes would be stuffed with ballots. So is there is there enough evidence on the ground to suggest that that may very well have happened? Well, look, there, there, there were not only was there a clear constitutional violation uh, by the state Supreme Court, there are many irregularities when it comes to trans, uh, transparency, when it comes to verification. They, they ignored uh, matching signatures. Uh, there was a, a, a clear disruption in the chain of custody, uh, giving rise to at least uh, a whole myriad of opportunities for, for, for fraud. So in combination, uh, Pennsylvania is ripe uh, for a, a, a do-over or a state legislative uh, solution uh, to give it to the winner. Now, there's no guarantee that Trump would be the winner, but there's every suspicion that he would be in that case if the only votes that are counted are those that came in in accordance with the original uh, calendar uh, that was changed at the last minute by the state supreme the state supreme court look this is this is different from from 2000 in 2000 we have one state one one county and folks were looking at chads uh and in in this situation there are a lot of process matters uh that are much more difficult to assess than 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 chad but there are affidavits of folks being denied the opportunity to have transparency and to view the process. And there there are serious questions about the number of, of ballots that were mailed out and the number of dead people who have voted. So uh, in, in combination, Pennsylvania is a mess. Uh, and the governor, Governor Wolf, and the Legion of Darkness uh, is on the march in Pennsylvania. And those of us, uh, apart from just being... Uh, supporters of President Trump, those who understand that what's in the balance is the integrity of our constitutional republic, we in fact have to be points of light and we have to punch holes in the darkness uh, and we have to stop the governor in his unconstitutional march. Uh, Ken Blackwell, is Pennsylvania the – I was just had, – I had Louis Gohmert on just a few moments ago. He was in Philadelphia over the weekend as well. And, you know, the lawsuits are being filed in other states uh, in addition to Pennsylvania. So what what are you seeing in some of these other states that would raise questions about the validity of uh, the results in those states? Well, I've, I've been focused on Pennsylvania, but I've talked with folks in Atlanta. Uh, there was a lot of shenanigans in, uh, in, in Georgia. There was a lot of shenanigans in Fulton County where, where Atlanta uh, is is the dominant city, uh, and there is a case that's being put together uh, there. Uh, the, the 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 real challenge is if the margin of victory or defeat, depending on which candidate you are, falls outside of what we call the margin of litigation and the automatic recall, that becomes a heavier lift. Uh, but but you, you have Nevada, uh, you have Arizona, which I understand is really tightening, uh, and in spite of news media calling it, ray, uh, you know, 
early in the in the uh, after the polls close, polls close, uh, that's going to be that's 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 an issue. Uh, I understand there are lawsuits being prepared for Michigan, but those are going to be how how deep the spread is. Uh, I'm focusing on Pennsylvania, and we must push back. So, Tony, let me just say real quick, uh, Georgia. We have to win Georgia. This is coming down to perhaps one state, two Senate seats, yeah. uh, and the direction of the country. Yeah, yeah, no question. A special election, a runoff election in uh, January. Ken Blackwell, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, two, uh, it looks like two Senate seats in a uh, runoff in January there in the state of Georgia. That's going to be, uh, if you live in Georgia, you're going to be inundated uh, with uh, election ads. All right, when we come back, uh, the media, are they treating 2000 different than 2020? John Stenberger from Florida joins us next. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. I, I don't know. Is it just me or has anybody else noticed how, uh, well, those have been around a while, notice how the media is treating 2020 differently than they did 20 or 2000, rather, when uh, Al Gore challenged the outcome of the election in Florida, filed lawsuit. In fact, I'm looking at a New York Times piece dated November 27th, 2000. 
Mr. Gore's lawyers filed a complaint with the state circuit court in Tallahassee seeking to nullify the votes counted accepted by the Florida Secretary of State in Palm Beach, Nassau, and Miami-Dade counties. Now, I'm going to go down to something else that was they, they said in this article. Even as lawyers addressed an initial hearing in the contest before a judge in Tallahassee, Dick Cheney, the vice presidential nominee, was holding a news conference in Washington to announce the naming of top officials to a presidential transition team. Notice the media referred to him as the vice presidential nominee, not vice president-elect, even though the election had been called. Uh, And I could go on. It's quite obvious that there is a double standard. But joining me now to talk more about this, John Stenberger from the Florida Policy Action Council, uh, who was actually a uh, he's president of the Family Policy Council in Florida and was a part of the George W. Bush legal team back in 2000. John, welcome to the program. Tony, great to be with you. All right. So, so John, is is this challenge that uh, Donald Trump is mounting to the outcome of this election being treated differently than what the media treated Al Gore's challenge back in 2000? It's very different. Back then, the media respected their, their role and their limitations. And most of all, they respected the institutions of the court, the secretary of state, and the elections officials. Um, and so even though they made a mistake, some headlines had President Al Gore, they at least submitted themselves and, you know, recognized it was a mistake. And the problem is that the media, both major networks and social media, has been co-opted by the left. Now, the Democrats and the Republicans used to have some things in common. We knew communism was bad, capitalism was good. We knew what a man, what a woman was. We knew what a marriage was. But the, the, the ideological divide is so wide that the left has completely co-opted the media, and they have now become an arm, in essence, of the Biden campaign. And so they don't view themselves as just merely reporters of fact. They view themselves as advocates and activists to further the cause. And that's the problem we have here. I mean, you just watch CNN and they're just dripping with animus toward the president. And they're just I mean, it's as if they're being paid by the campaign to advocate for Biden's uh, victory. Yeah, uh, well stated. Of course, we should be surprised because it was the media that was just has been hounding Donald Trump almost since day one when he took the presidency, giving rise to every allegation and when they're proven false, they never go back to say, oh, we missed it. They just keep going to the next item to try to beat uh, the Trump administration over the head. And, of course, going into this election, we saw all of the, uh, I'm going to say, manufactured polls that showed Joe Biden running away with this, all designed to dampen, discourage conservative turnout, thinking this thing was already decided. That's right. Now, Bush versus Gore took 37 days to resolve. Tony, we're in day six of this dispute, and there's about four or five states involved. So the media needs to get out of the business of promoting this. They need to respectfully refer to these folks what they are. They can make their predictions, but they cannot announce who the people are going to be, who the president's going to be. That's not constitutional. That's not the way it works. Yet they're assuming this high-powered role, and, and it's really unfortunate to see former presidents many of whom we respect, uh, weigh in as if the, the issue's over. These, the president is entitled to due process. He's entitled to his day in court. And until it's over, it is not over, and we shouldn't be acting like it's over. John, from your perspective, having been inv- involved in that 2000 challenge, why is it important that we allow the process to run its course? 
Yeah, it's even it's even important for the Democrats. The problem we have right now is we don't even know what happened. We don't even know if it's legitimate. I mean, that's the thing that's really unfortunate for everybody involved. Look, if we lost fair and square, hey, God's sovereign, and let's go on and, and, and live our lives, and we respect the civil magistrate. But the thing that's frustrating is that everybody, Democrats and Republicans, we don't know if this is a legitimate election. And so by at least by the media putting themselves in neutral and allowing the legal process, and even that's not perfect, right? There could still be fraud, right. and, and there's no... There's no way to even remedy it from the standpoint of a judge, but at least there'll be a, a fairness. The, the process will be at least cloaked with fairness, cloaked with due process, and cloaked with the approval of the courts. But right now they're trying to bypass that legal process and just declare him the king when nothing's actually happened officially. No votes have been certified anywhere. I mean, I think it's critical to the future confidence that we place in our republic in elections that we allow this thing to be, if necessary, litigated to have confidence that the results are accurate and reflect what actually happened at the polls legally. I think that's right. And I think the Democrats benefit from that same equation as well. Yeah. And they're doing a disservice to their own movement by trying to force it. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because then there'll they'll never be legitimacy to the Biden administration if these questions are not answered and these allegations of irregularities are not addressed. Uh, John Simberger, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Thanks, Tony. All right, folks, um, when, when we come back, I want to talk with uh, actually uh, Brent Kylan. I had said uh, Travis Weber, but I'm going to have Brent on, vice president of FRC Action, talking about some of the positive gains across the country. You know, as I mentioned, we've, we've picked up uh, already eight seats in the House, uh, and the uh, the Senate is not in the hands of Democrats. State legislatures, that's actually a, even a better picture. We're going to talk about that next and why it's important. And I'll give you my thoughts on where we stand as a country and what we need to be doing. That's next. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. When President Donald Trump announced his nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, critics were quick to point not to this qualified nominee's record, but rather to her religious affiliations as a reason she ought not be allowed to serve as a Supreme Court justice. In an increasingly secular culture, it is not only the media that views faith as problematic for those appointed to judicial positions. Senators, particularly Democrats, have inappropriately interrogated nominees with comments and lines of questioning spanning theology, congregation membership, and associations with faith-based nonprofits, all seemingly with the intent to discredit the nominees. 
Family Research Council recently released a publication addressing this important issue. To learn more about what the Constitution says about religious tests, visit frc.org slash religious tests. That's frc.org slash religious tests. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to uh, to have you with us. All right, as I mentioned, um, the Republicans defied the manufactured polls. And this goes back to a point uh, I think Louis Gohmert was making about how the presidential tot- coattails in this election brought Republicans along. And, and so it doesn't make sense that he would have lost and everybody else won. Another topic, but just consider the logic of that. But here's uh, here's some, some good news. The Republicans did not lose the Senate as the media predicted. Remember, I, I mentioned a Newsweek poll about two weeks out from the election. 83.5% probability that the Democrats would take the Senate. All right, here's where the Senate stands. 48, 48, 48 Republicans, 48 Democrats with um, two outstanding GOP races in which they are up, one being North Carolina, where with 94 percent of the vote in, uh, Tillis is up uh, 1.8 percent. In Alaska is up as uh, the Republican candidate is up as well. So those that would put it at 50, 48 now that brings us to what I mentioned a few moments ago: the 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 G the the Georgia uh, runoff and special election that will take place there on January the sixth, I think it is. So you'll have that's that's going to be fascinating. Two Senate races up in January there in Georgia. Now, uh, both look pretty good quite frankly, for the Republicans, but a lot of work to be done. Democrats are going to be focusing on it because this is for all the marbles for them. Um, if Biden is successful in holding on to the White House, the Republican, uh, the Democrats having a very slim majority in the House, but this is where they can stuff the courts, pack the courts, uh, where they can add statehood for D.C. So this is extremely important where the Senate basically will hold the line. Because what would happen if they were to win both of those seats, it would be 50-50, 
And that means that the vice president would be the deciding vote. So if you live in Georgia, prepare yourself. Uh, you are going to, you're probably going to have 10 people knock on your door between now and the election in January. And I do hope that you will be engaged. This is a very, very important. You've got to do your part for the republic. All right, so that's the Senate. But in the House, the House has gained, the Republicans rather, have gained, have already gained eight seats, flipped. Eight, well, one independent and seven Democratic seats were flipped. So you have right now, as of today, you have 209 Democratic uh, seats held by Democrats. You have 193 held by Republicans. There are 33 outstanding races. Now, it's it's going to tighten. I think you'll, Pelosi will probably have uh, 200 mid-220s, 225, something like that, when it's all said and done. Maybe, maybe a few more. But very narrow margins when you consider the divide, the ideological divide, even within the, the Democratic Party. I mean, you've got AOC and the squad, you know, the socialist that are trying to drive the party completely down the path of Bernie Sanders. And then you have moderates who saw so many of their moderate colleagues knocked off in this election because they were forced to go down this path of uh, socialism. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Nancy Pelosi can manage uh, this very, well, I'm not even sure how I would define it, but it's going to be the Democratic Party, the House Caucus, Democratic Caucus, is going to be very, very hard to manage. I, I would not want to be in Nancy Pelosi's shoes. And what's going to happen with the Republicans is that not only do you see unity when they're in the minority, I mean, that just it just happens because you have a common objective, and that is to get into the majority. So you work together uh, much better in the minority than you do the majority. But something else has happened, is that you have a much more ideologically conservative Republican caucus in the House. And it's pretty unified. Most of the moderates have uh, have, have left or or been defeated, and so it's a, it's. A, I'm not saying it's totally conservative, but it is much more conservative than it has been in past years. But there's more to the story of what happened on election day last week, and it has to do with the states. Again, not only did we not see Democrats gaining ground. In Congress, we didn't see him gaining ground at the state level either. And joining me now to talk more about this, Brent Kylan, Vice President of FRC Action. Brent, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. All right. So I kind of gave an overview of what happened on Capitol Hill or happened in the congressional races. But let's talk now about state legislative races, which are extremely important in this cycle because they will be the ones that taking the census data will be drawing the congressional lines and the state legislative seats, which will be in place for the next decade. So where do we stand at the state level? Tony, when you look at what happened at the state level, uh, it was actually a very good day for conservatives uh, across the country. As you point out, Going into this race, both sides knew just how important the state legislative chambers were. Uh, both sides were, were targeting this. State legislative chambers don't get as much attention by the national media, but those who were making the policies knew just how important this was. Um, if you look at the money 
that went into these Republicans and conservatives got outspent by about three to two by the Democrats. Democrats actually spent $88 million trying to control and even flip a lot of targeted state legislative chambers, which $88 million tells you just how important this was to them. Tony, as of right now, now there's a few races. We still don't know for sure a few of those uh, those races, those results trickling in. But Democrats, as of right now, have failed to pick up any state legislative body in the country. And, and that's historically significant because this year, that number this year marks the least number of state chambers to switch parties since 1944. So you have to go back to World War II to, to find a year where, where this few state legislative chambers have, have switched parties. If you look at how that breaks down for conservatives and Republicans, uh, Republicans retain their, their historic lead in controlling both, uh, both chambers, state house and state senate. Right now they, uh, they have 29 states where they control both state house, state senate. Democrats have 18 such states. And then if you look at trifectas, where, where one party or the other uh, controls governor and state senate and state house, Republicans have 21 of those trifectas, and Democrats have only 15. So, Tony, uh, a, a very good state uh, or, or um, result Tuesday for conservatives at the state level across the country. Now, it's it's uh, helpful to provide some historical context here because the Republicans made tremendous gains over state legislative uh, state legislatures going back to 2010. The Tea Party movement mm-hmm. uh, ushered in a, a big a big flip in the number of legislative bodies controlled by Republicans. Mm-hmm. Now, there's been a couple that have been lost in the last decade. For instance, Virginia. Uh, went to mm-hmm. Democratic control. But for the most part, what we're, what this reflects is a conservative ideological shift that has taken place in the last decade uh, and a half, I would say, to a more mm-hmm. right-of-center populace in the United States, which I think gave rise to the success of Donald Trump in 2016 and why there's this incons- people see this as an inconsistent that the Republicans, the conservatives maintained the ground, gained a little bit, but yet the president r- reportedly did not win this election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tony, if you look at where these numbers happen, where Republicans either gain seats or held on to key targeted legislative seats. Uh, this was across the country. I actually have a list here of of noteworthy uh, noteworthy states that I'll go through in just a second. But as you listen to this list, uh, this is not any one particular type of state. This isn't just deep red states. This isn't one region of the country. This is this is really nationwide. So. It, look at New Hampshire. It looks like they are poised to flip both House and Senate to make uh, New Hampshire a, a Republican trifecta. If you look at Pennsylvania, it looks like they're going to hang on to their House and Senate majorities despite being targeted as a, as a key state in Florida. They not only kept their trifecta, they actually improved their numbers in the state house. Uh, in Minnesota, they, they it looks like they're going to hang on to their Senate majority and put a den in the Democrats' majority in the state house. Uh, in Montana, they picked up the governor's race, so now have a trifecta there. In New Mexico, they made a couple of gains at the state legislative level. In Ohio, 
they fended off some very difficult challenges in Ohio, Tony, and actually made gains in the state house. Uh, Texas, a lot of money poured into Texas to flip those uh, legislative chambers. They held on there, state house and state senate. And then uh, in California, in New York, you know, not what we think of as super conservative states. It looks like they'll be picking up uh, two to three houses in uh, uh, house seats in both of those states as well. Yeah, very, very uh, interesting. The, the, The left, aided by the media, when it's all said and done, the dust has settled. They may, they may have defeated Donald Trump in his reelection bid, but they did not defeat conservatism that marked the Trump campaign and the Trump administration. And so, while you know the left may be in the streets dancing, uh, conservatism, conservatism in America is alive and well, probably stronger than it's ever been in modern history. And if they think conservatives are just going to go away. Uh, they've got another thing coming. Um, I think they're mm-hmm. going to be surprised. Brent Allen, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Appreciate uh, the insight at the state level in terms of what happened uh, last Tuesday. Thanks so much again, Tony. Good to be with you. So, folks, obviously good news. So while there's there's troubling things that we see in the the media and, and here's. Here's something you've got to understand, and I say this over and over and over and again, and I'm going to continue to say it over and over and over again. This election cycle was a perfect example of what the legacy media is attempting to do. They want to shape the world in their ideological image. They're not about reporting what's happening. They're not so much about even projecting. They want to shape and determine. One of the reasons the media from day one was so adversarial towards Donald Trump is because they couldn't control him. The media has become accustomed to to having politicians on a string. And I'm telling you, I know this from personal experience of talking to and going up against the media myself as a elected official, but also talking to previous presidential administrations who were so concerned about what the media thought they wouldn't take steps that were conservative, practical, and right. The Trump administration did. And, and they made that clear from the very beginning. And so there was this adversarial role because the media wanted to control what the federal government did what the Trump administration did, and he would not allow it. And they were kept at, on the outside. And so that that's a part of it. What they want to do is put a magnifying glass on a minority view and suggest to you that that is the majority view. Now, I, I will give you the reality that America is a divided nation. There's no question. But the values that are built upon transcendent truth, biblical truth, those values are not going away. In fact, what's happening is that as people see that truth, when displayed, when put on display, when used, when upheld, when defended, leads to positive outcomes, more people are being won to the truth. Again, this goes back to the media trying to uh, discourage people from supporting the policies of of President Trump and the Trump administration because they know those policies work. 
It's part of the cancel culture is to drive you into hiding so that you will not represent the truth. Here's what you need to do. Turn off the legacy media. And I'll tell you, that includes Fox News. Fox News has gone to the left. You need, number one, spend more time in the scripture and and, and just analyze, look at things that are happening in the light of of scripture and be encouraged. Look, I'm not going to use the, the flippant phrase that God is in control. I mean, that, that's never been challenged. But as you and I exercise our responsibility right where God has placed us, we can impact the world around us. And our values, which are built upon Scripture, which come from Scripture, offer the hope that America needs. And now more than ever, we need to redouble our efforts in standing for truth, regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of what party might dominate. That doesn't matter. Now, well, I shouldn't say that. It does matter. It makes our job easier or harder, but it should not in any form or fashion affect our commitment to the truth. We must stand firm now more than ever and shine a light on darkness and be salt to a world that needs the preservation that only the truth can bring. Folks, thanks so much for joining us. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.